0: Let's pray again together. Our Father, we are so grateful to be able to assemble here this morning and to praise your name together. To remind each other, regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, that you, O Lord, are our living hope. And that we can come and praise you regardless. And that we recognize, O Father, that while we praise you now in these days, We get to praise you for endless time, because death has lost its grip on us in Christ Jesus, the one who rose from the grave, the first fruits of resurrection, that we might follow him. And Lord, it is our desire this morning as we gather around your word now to prioritize the things that... Jesus prioritizes. We would be a praying people and specifically praying the priorities of Jesus. For we pray all of this in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Well, everybody knows or should know how important communication is in relationships. In fact, the major source of marital breakdown is a breakdown in communication. Finances are shortly behind or tied, depending on what study you might read. So then how much more important is communication in the most important relationship you have in this life? the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. So that's why we at Calvary have dedicated two of our five essentials to communication with the Lord. Word and prayer. Here at Calvary, one of our essentials is that prayer is the air we breathe. So, I have a really small introduction this morning, that was it, because I have a whole lot of content, and I want you to fasten your seatbelts, because there's a lot to take in here this morning, and I don't want to steal any time in introduction, I, I'm sure you're, you're introduced enough, so would you turn your Bibles to Matthew, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, please. Because under the subject of what things are better in private, Jesus lists prayer, which feels surprising at first, especially since we come together and we pray publicly so much until you take a closer look at prayer and it makes total sense. I hope it will. I think it will. It will. Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is, pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins this is the word of God so the first two sections here are how not to pray. And the third section is how to pray. A very simple outline. How not to pray. How to pray. So, Jesus first addresses how not to pray. He says, do not be like hypocrites. We learned about hypocrites last week. They're actors. People who are not honest about what they are representing, they are actors. He says, don't pray like a hypocrite. Public, private devotion is an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Public, private, you, you can't do both at the same time. That's what Jesus is really diving into. You are either being devoted to God in your prayer life or you are somehow trying to draw attention to yourself. This is what Jesus is concerned about in, our, in prayer lives. In particular, the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues where all the people are and where all the people are gathered for religious things so that they can be seen and on street corners, to be seen by men making a big show of their religious lives, their prayer lives. There was an old rabbinic tradition that said you could pray publicly, quietly, which began to lose its intention and became more and more showy as time went on. And... Um, Jesus wasn't having any of it. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. We prayed publicly one, two, three, I think three times already this morning. Is Jesus displeased with that? No, if you look at Matthew 18, 19 to 20, Matthew uh, 21, verse 22, Matthew 26, Verse 41, you will see there that public prayer is commended. When we are praying for one another, publicly, it's commended. All through the Old Testament, prayer is publicly for the people, on behalf of the people, to God. No, that's commended. What we're talking about here is hypocritical prayer, prayer that's done just to be showy, prayer that's, that's, that's playing to the crowd, That's what Jesus is talking about here. There are many pitfalls to to our religious lives publicly because we can easily move across the line and want to show off and want to start people to to notice how righteous we are, how holy we are, how in touch with God we are. Jesus is talking about these pitfalls where our public religion is... uh, definitely fraught with trouble it's simply true that that our private prayer must be rich before our public prayers can be alive but here's what prayer is not prayer is not evangelism prayer is not announcements or information dear Lord thank you for the picnic that the church is going to have today at 2 o'clock at the Lakeside Park that's not prayer that's an announcement you just forgot to say something so you thought I'll throw it into the prayer so it'll get, I'll get the information out there that, that's not prayer prayer is not to demonstrate our faith to one another Prayer is not a sermon in disguise. I knew an old dear saint who, I won't mention, who most people resisted asking him to pray, because the prayer that was supposed to close down the service, or, you know, would become a lengthy sermon. That's not a prayer. A prayer is not even an instrument of edification. Karl Barth has said one of the more profound things about prayer and it's this. Prayer is not prayer if it is addressed to anyone else but God. jot that one down somewhere you you need to save this one put that at the front of your Bible you know you have statements that are really important in your life with Christ this is one of them in fact Jesus says when you pray go into your room or literally he's saying the inner storeroom in houses then they would have sometimes a, an inner storeroom that actually was the only place that they could lock. They didn't lock the front doors and all of that, didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But they would have one where they may lock. It was an inner room. Jesus says, go to that room. And why does he say that room? That, that, that's the room of undistracted privacy so that you alone No pretension, nobody's listening. You're not putting on a show. You're just talking to God, pouring out your heart to Him. Do you have an inner room? Do you have a place where you won't be distracted by a phone? Your family won't bounce into the room, calling your name while you're trying to pray? You're not trying to multitask in prayer. Then I have this funny relationship of communication. Her in the kitchen, me in another room watching TV. Not much communication happens in those times because you're distracted. This is going into the inner room and grabbing God by the face and talking to Him. Pouring out your heart. And you don't have to worry about being distracted or interrupted. And this is stunning, beloved. This is a stunning thing that Jesus has invited us to do. Privately, personally, individually to go and talk to God. The, the um, Special meeting place prior to Jesus was the Holy of Holies that was off limits to all but the high priest. Now the Holy of Holies has moved into your inner room and you get to go there as often as you want and talk to God. Uninterrupted Holy Communion with Almighty God. Think about it. Probably take for granted what we have. And you know what he says? It's there that God rewards. It's there. And and we were just singing a song that related to this, but isn't that what we are living out our whole lives for? Is to one day enter the presence, the visible presence of God and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant, to please the Lord, to be rewarded by the Lord with his approval. Well, when you go into the inner chamber And pray to Almighty God he approves he's pleased that's what Jesus is saying the second though he says is do not be like pagans see that when you pray do not keep babbling like pagans don't pray like them don't be like don't pray like a pagan The much of pagan religions and religious babble and repetition like the priests of Baal remember in 1 Kings 18 who kept babbling and chanting and Elijah says maybe he's asleep maybe maybe your God is going to the bathroom the much of pagan religious babble is not much to Jesus. See what he says here? Here's the problem with this repetitious babble of pagan religions. It treats God like he's reluctant to listen. It treats God like he needs to be sold by works and urgent hard work. Oh God, please hear me. With incantations and special phrases over and over again, repeated and repeated and repeated into a frenzy that somehow might earn the ear of God. Or like he doesn't know what's going on. Jesus says, don't you know that your father knows what you need before you even enter the prayer room? Prayer is offered to us, like everything else from God, by grace. (laughs) Not somehow we have to earn it or work for it, but by grace, not on the basis of much work. Prayer is not some sort of mad burden that you have in your life, but a privilege. God wants to have an audience with you. He wants to talk to you. He loves you. It's not how much, Jesus says, it's how you pray. Not the long benedictions of the Orthodox Jews. Not the meticulous five times a day by the Muslims. Not the repeated mantras of the Hindus and the Buddhists. Who Jesus says... We're not to be like. You think they'll be heard by the many things they say. That's, that's what those who don't know God pray like. Those who don't know him press to be heard by chance and babble because they don't know him. Those who know him know he already knows. So why do we pray then if he already knows? We pray because it makes sense to talk to the one who already knows, doesn't it? We don't have to fill him in on things. Prayer life, you don't have to catch God up on stuff. By the way, God, did you notice what happened this week? You don't have to catch God up. He knows all that. He's way ahead of you. He not only knows all that's going on, but He knows all that you need. Now He's just waiting for you to enter the inner room and ask Him. Call on Him. Talk to Him. We don't need to waste time filling Him in. And when we go to Him, we confirm to Him that we know He knows, and we acknowledge our need. That's what prayer becomes. And then we won't boast by our many babblings, our incantations that somehow earned us the, the ear of God. No, that's not how we gain the ear of God. So now Jesus devotes the rest of his time, and I want to hear, I want to save time, how to pray. That's how not to pray, how to pray. And here's what he says. Pray to the Father in heaven for his will on earth. Pray to the Father on heaven for his will on earth. And as Luther said, brief, frequent, urgent. Remember that. That's another good one. Luther's take on this section, brief, frequent, intense, patterned according to Jesus. You'll say, would we pray this prayer all the time? Sure, you can pray this prayer all the time. I'm gonna show you how to pray this prayer all the time. This is the outline, this is the content, this is the priority that Jesus has given us for our prayer lives that pleases the Father. I mean, we're, we're hearing it right from God himself. How do you want us to pray, Lord? Well, well Jesus tells us here. This can form your outline for your prayer, prayers for the rest of your life. We often come into the prayer room, I'm not sure how to pray. What, you know, what, what, how should I organize my prayer? This is the way you can organize your prayers, Say what, just, just rotely say this? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly nothing wrong. It's certainly good to quote scripture back to the Lord. So yes, yes, this prayer, exactly as it is, is good. But this prayer represents things. And I want to show you what it represents, what Jesus was representing here. We're basically asking God for what he already wants to give us. That's what prayer is. We are asking God for what he already wants to give us. Watch. To the, literally, to the overall God, our Father in heaven, the overall God, Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15, Jesus' Father. Father. The father of Jesus, uniquely his father by his own nature, shares his father with us by our adoption into the family. This is stunning stuff, folks. You're invited to call God Almighty your father in the same way that Jesus calls him His father. Jesus has a unique relationship with him as God himself. Jesus by nature is the son of God. We by adoption are sons and daughters of God. All created humans by creation are children of God. Acts chapter 17, if you want to look that up sometime, 28 to 29. But there's this unique relationship. And so that's how we enter into prayer. That's how we're invited to enter into prayer. Jesus has made it possible for us to come to the Father in prayer as our Father. Our Father in heaven. So here here are there, first of all, three yours, and then there are three ours. We first of all pray, hallowed be your name, your name, that your name might be recognized on this earth as it already is in heaven, recognized on earth. This is our prayer as a church and as people that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be revered and recognized. The name of God would be respected in our land, in our homes, in our lives. Lord, enable me... To reveal you by the way I live this week, Matthew 5, 16, that people might see and praise the Father in heaven. That's our, how we begin our prayers to God, recognize as Almighty God. And then to recognize your kingdom, the kingdom of God that reigns, that it should reign. Your priorities, Lord. We are asking for his priorities. We are asking that his authority might rule over our lives and our land, that it might spill out from my life and and be seen by all, that that God is in charge of my life. Today, O Lord, as I go forth into the community, may your authority over my life be evident to all. May it first of all start with me. May I reverence your authority over my life entirely. You're in charge, O Lord, to make your kingdom real wherever I have contact. This Canadian country is the dominion of God from sea to sea, and they've added to the North Sea as well. Your word, that it might be authority in my life. Your spirit might be in charge of my life. That your righteousness might reign in my life. That my life might be Jesus-centered and gospel-centered. That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That your will, O Lord, might be realized today in my life and in all that goes on around me. It's ludicrous. We, we, We live, brothers and sisters, we live among a ludicrous and arrogant humanity. We literally do. We live among a ludicrous and arrogant humanity. When you think about the almighty God who rules and reigns over this universe and where heaven aligns itself according to his will which is the power source of the universe All power aligns itself to the will of God in heaven. And we are urgently praying to the Lord, oh God, that these me and my family and all us puny, dependent creatures... uh, Ludicrous, arrogant people might bow to your will, O oh God, even as all the powers in heaven do. Imagine having to ask God for that. How we want people to live according to the will of God how he wants us to live. And it starts with me in the prayer room every morning or every night, whatever is your practice, to call on the Lord that I might live out your will. And to see this as a big vision, oh Lord, when he says on earth as it is in heaven, not just for me, that my vision might be myopic and puny and little, but that in prayer calling on almighty God that his will might be done in all the earth. Do you pray that big and bold? In Ukraine, in Russia, America, Canada, Madagascar so that God's will will continue to be in my heart bigger than me. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And then the three R's on this Canada Day weekend (laughs) for our bread Give us today our daily bread Verse 11 Provision, food But that's not just what he's asking us to pray about He's asking us to pray about And everything necessary for preserving and providing for life That's what he's talking about, life here Provision, how to live Money, work Health to work Peace to work Peace to provide a good growing season, do you see how this prayer expands loved this is this is a, this moves and, the, and, and the, literally we all know that good government is essential an essential instrument to provide food this this moves into on this Canada Day weekend and our daily dependence asking the Lord to make a good economy to 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 bring useful work to us and a government that will enable that to be so and not scuttle it, ruin it, destroy it, abuse it. How can we have daily bread if those who govern us squander all of our resources? And all of our resourcefulness and all of our abilities to provide for our families. Jesus wants this for us. He invites you to ask the Lord for this. Not only does this talk about our physical lives, but lives but The daily bread of life to starving souls. All around us. Because physical rescue is essentially connected to spiritual rescue. You can hardly launch the mission without providing people with life physically. Jesus knows this, the necessity of people to have sustenance, provision, that they might hear the truth, the mission of forgiveness with Christ, necessary to hear. That's why I think he first starts with daily bread and then moves to our debts with God. How will ears hear of forgiveness if their stomachs are empty and they're dying? So then he talks about our debts, the pardon and forgiveness we need. Our sins make us indebted to God. That's what this means. This word lit, literally that's used here, it's not the word for sin, although it's, that's what it's referring to. It, it is actually the word for debt. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us what we owe God. How do we owe God? We owe God because of sin. That's why Jesus came and paid our debts on the cross. He redeemed us. You say, well, why do we need to ask God to forgive us our debts if Jesus has already taken care of that and paid our debt? Be- well, Jesus paying our debt makes it possible for the Father to continue to forgive us of our debts because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that even disciples of Jesus sin. If We say we sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Jesus is now praying about that or telling us to pray about that. Pray about your debts, your ongoing debts with God, your ongoing sin. Jesus here brings together the positional and the practical realities of sin and forgiveness. It's an amazing thing that we can ask the Father to forgive us. You can ask him to wipe out your debt. You can go into the inner prayer room because of what Jesus has done for you and come out with a clear conscience. Do you realize that? I know you do. Do you think about the benefit, the incredible thing that that is? That you don't have to haul some sacrifice up to Jerusalem? That you can go into your inner chamber with your Father in heaven and ask Him to forgive you of your debts. And He will. Just as you have already forgiven those who have sinned against you. Wait a second, there's something attached to this? Oh yeah, did you see it? Forgive us our debts. And Jesus just assumes here, doesn't he? As we also have forgiven our debtors. It's it's like as if Jesus says, okay, come here, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your debts. Now, of course, you've already forgiven everybody who's indebted to you, right? Like, it's, an, it's rhetorical. Jesus is saying, so, so let me get this straight. You're gonna go into the inner chamber and talk to the Father in heaven about the gross debts you have against him. The grossest of all is before you came to know him. And he, he's going to forgive you of an unthinkable sin. But you're not going to forgive people who have minor league sinned against you? Uh-uh. No. This, Jesus attaches this to what you say in the inner room. Dear Lord, forgive me of my debt of this because you know I have forgiven. That's not a condition that you're putting on with God. It's a condition that he's putting on to you. You're not earning your thing here. You're not reminding God of something he doesn't know. You are making certain that you are not asking for something that you yourself have no intention of doing. Jesus says, don't come and ask the Father to forgive you when you're not willing to forgive other people their debts against you. So beloved, listen, you want to have a vital prayer life? And you, you, some of you may have stuff that's, that's dogging you for years. You, want to, you don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? Jesus already said, don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites would ask God to do something they have no intention of doing themselves. We already read that in the scriptures. So, do what you pray or don't say it at all. Don't ask for what you're unwilling to give. Because when you petition the Lord to forgive you your debts, Jesus says you are tying this to your petition as well. Just as I've forgiven others. There's one final thing here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our temptations... So, Jesus is inviting us to go into the inner room and now ask not to be indebted against to the Lord. So, go and sin no more, our temptations. We're asking him for protection, we're asking him for freedom. So, we're first of all asking him for pardon, we're asking him for, uh, or sorry, we're asking him for provision, we're asking him for pardon, and now we're asking him for protection. Or if you like a different alliteration, we're asking him for food. We're asking him for forgiveness, and we're asking him for freedom. There's a historic controversy here that I think we can settle really quickly. This this has kind of been a prayer request that has caused a lot of consternation. Does God lead us into temptation that we have to ask him not to? What is this really saying here? Could God lead us into temptation? That's the question. Could God lead us into temptation so that we need to appeal to him not to do that? The answer is excellent. I'm very pleased. So turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Wait a minute, I thought you all said no. <laughs> How are you gonna get yourself out of this one? James 1, nice. James 1, 13. beauty. God leads... Satan tempts, but God does lead us to temptation. D- doesn't he? We just read Matthew 4.1. The Spirit led Jesus to temptation. I see a whole lot of faces just, what? What? God leads us to temptation, but not into temptation. Faith is put on trial by God. What what do you think Jesus was doing in the wilderness? Being tested. Put on trial. So are you and I every day of our lives. You know, what we have here, the picture that we have here is, is life as a temptation minefield. Is, is that not what life is like? And we've added stuff to it, our, our phones and our computers and all that stuff. Life is a temptation minefield. You step out of your, you don't even have to step out, you step out of your house. It's a, No, you don't even have to step out of your house. Your house is a temptation minefield. What we're asking of the Lord in our prayer is in this minefield, Lord, that you're leading me into, because I, I have to move forward. I have to go and do this. I have to do that. In this minefield, please, O oh Lord, do not lead me to be s- seduced by one of the mines, and blow my life up. That's what this prayer is. Do not lead me. Don't let us be led by temptation into temptation. Satan's world is seductive. So when escorting us through the minefield of temptations, O oh Lord, do not let us become attracted to a tempting mine. The f- first Google search of the day will have a picture below it that can very well be a mine. When I was, think- when I was reading, you know, studying this, I was thinking of Clifton Hill in Niagara Falls. Anybody been there? You know Clifton Hill? I, I, I feel like that's, that's, um, well, there it is. I feel like that's what our lives are like. We're walking down Clifton Hill, and Satan is standing at the threshold of all kinds of weird things, seeking to seduce us, to be tempted and, and this, prayer is, this prayer of the day is, Jesus, while I walk down Clifton Hill today, please keep me from turning into the house of Frankenstein. And, and Lord, when I get to the bottom of the hill, please don't let me turn into the casino. But let me go And gaze at that spectacular piece of creation called Niagara Falls. And let me pray to you and gaze into your face and see your power and your presence. Literally, the text here says to snatch us away from temptation's house. Lord where there is stealing and killing and destroying and I want no part of it may my faith stand against the temptations that you'll lead me to but not into Oh Lord These are the things, beloved, that are priorities for Jesus and us in the quietness of our prayer room. Our Father, how I ask this morning on behalf of myself first and all who are here, that we might first and foremost if we have lost the practice to get back into the inner chamber room of time with you, how important you have made prayer. Lord many of us are depending on other people to pray for us. Many of us are just coming here on Sunday and depending on pastors to pray for us or someone else and we're not praying. Lord you've called on private prayer for every disciple of Jesus Christ as an awesome privilege but an imperative responsibility. And I pray, oh God, that we would follow through in our prayer lives with this amazing pattern that Jesus has given to us on how to pray in a way that brings pleasure to the Father. He wants to give us what he has called us to pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing this sermon this week, I was thinking how badly the greater church needs to simplify itself to the petitions of this prayer. How badly Christians individually need to do that. Because I think we all agree, we see all around us, people not just falling into temptation's house, but leaping there, going there on purpose, disregarding the will of the Father, disregarding God. I jotted this down as a a finale this morning, the priorities, priorities of Jesus in prayer form are ignored by the arrogant who untie their boats from the moorings of God's truth, pull up the anchor of his hope, and casually shop the marketplace of Satan's seductive temptations, because they are certain they are smarter than an old-fashioned Jesus, and more enlightened than an ancient wisdom manuscript, and stronger than the tempter landscape right now is littered with churches and those who have unfastened themselves from the daily protection of Christ through prayer and his faithful church. That's what I see around us. And it all goes back to the structure of this prayer that Jesus has given us. So beloved, I think it's important for us as we depart this morning But deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.